0: On, everyone welcome back to another evening of sweat and grime you've got brian matt and rick in the studio and on the phone i'm gonna let matt introduce him because he's your friend
1: well shit we got pete flint in the house uh all the way from uh anchorage alaska so i met him back in uh what 2008 when i moved up there with my little uh, alaska hiatus and uh yeah we'll let him do the rest tell his story of pete why how are there. you doing
2: I'm doing great. It's very sunny out today. I got to leave work early because I had to pick my wife up from the airport. And so now I am home doing this.
0: Now, when you say airport, uh, do you mean that's a float plane in the middle (laughs) of some small lake? (laughs) (laughs) He's got to fight the bears and alligators to get to the fucking... There are no
1: alligators up there.
3: (laughs) Oh, you got polar bears. just
2: had to fight the taxi cabs is all.
3: (laughs) Nice. What is there, like one taxi cab for Anchorage? (laughs) <laughs> mm,
2: i don't know there was quite a few of them out there the airport is under some major renovations that they're trying to get done before the tourist season starts oh, yeah. so it's kind of a free-for-all
1: <clears throat> and now it's going to be the tourist season is going to be hot this year because finally COVID's is at a you know on the downfall you know for what we see on tv right yeah so you guys are gonna be back in action
2: we hope so. Yeah. Uh, I, I work downtown, and downtown has been a ghost town for a whole year and a half now, I Gosh,
3: think. <laughs> that's a little scary. Now, what's the weather like right up today?
2: It is mid-40s, very sunny. Um, it's probably 50 or 60 on my back deck in the sun. Nice. and uh, That's where
1: you should be recording this with us. Yeah. You know, you'd be out there getting a suntan.
2: I know. I was trying to get some work done. You know, got to quit early to hang out with you East coasters. Yeah, right.
0: That's <laughs> how, true. What how time much is snow? It there?
2: It is uh three 40.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's almost eight Ooh, o'clock here. It's <laughs> almost bedtime. What? Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. How much snow you got up there, Pete?
2: Um, it's kind of melting, but in my shady yard, I've got probably 18 inches in the backyard. It's really sunny and most of the snow is gone except for the piles that I shoveled off the deck all winter.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah. nice. So tell us a bit about yourself, Peter. What, what do you do? What took you to Alaska? You know, give us a little history back story of Peter Flint. Yes.
2: Okay. Um, it's, it's very exciting. Not really. It um, is. So I grew up in Western New York. Um, I, up in a little town called Warsaw. It's in between Buffalo and Rochester. Um, obviously, I'm a Bills fan, as every decent American <laughs> should be. <laughs> and uh, so I started off there, obviously. Um my parents were both dairy farmers, and they sold the farm when I was a little kid. And then um, you know, I went to high school, did all that stuff, uh, like all appropriate uh middle class white children i went to college (laughs) (laughs) i did that (laughs) i started off uh i started off college being a uh, math major i was going to be a math teacher and about four years into it i decided that that was not something i was actually interested in doing and uh i abruptly left school in the middle of a semester then i had to figure out what to do and so i ended up deciding to go to uh a college called paul smith's college in the adirondacks and uh i i went there to uh get my surveying degree so i went to paul smith's and i got an associate's degree in land surveying and then uh right upon graduating i got offered a job in fairbanks and uh i'd never been to fairbanks Uh, i didn't know how expensive it was to actually live in fairbanks so when somebody told you know a poor a rural kid from a kind of a poor town, uh, we'll pay you $20 an hour. That sure. Seemed like a lot to me at the time. Yeah. And, yeah, and, uh, maybe.
1: <laughs> and then you moved to, uh, a place that has the same freaking real estate and, uh, rental fees as California.
0: <laughs>
3: like he, right. dude, is, dude, it he really, went, is
0: it that expensive? Oh, it's ridiculous. He
1: went from extremes, dude, from the East coast all the way to Alaska. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. How was that? How was your adventure? Did you, did you fly up there originally or did you make the journey in the vehicle?
2: Uh my first time I drove, yeah. Oof. I took my little uh pickup truck and uh my best friend Bill rode with me uh all the way to Alaska and then he stayed here with me for a couple weeks and flew home. So was he
3: you still your best friend time you got to Alaska? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know he was and there were some close calls i remember when he when i picked him up in the morning to leave from uh from western new york he he's all happy and he gets in the car and he's got like a package of harmonicas and he's like i learned how to play the harmonica <laughs> no sir no
0: sir <laughs> Get your ass out of the car. I <laughs> picture of, like the yeah. Jim Carrey,
1: like, you know, the mockingbirds. Know. <laughs> Most annoying sound in the world.
3: You had, you had yeah. to have some hours from New York to Alaska. Like, how many hours was that trip?
2: We did it in two weeks. Um, we basically would drive until it was about dinner time and then Google the closest brewery to wherever we were and then uh stay in the hotel that was closest to the brewery
1: yes <laughs> so you guys did it right luke and i when we left michigan what was that 2009 when we went back up there after the 2008 summer and we did the straight through three three and a half day uh, or like days straight just driving <laughs>
0: That was horrible. Yeah, but from your story, you didn't stop at breweries. No, we did not. We did not. At all. At all. So You, you stopped and had an adventure of
3: your own. Yes, yes. At the Home Depot, Home Depot. So, was this like your biggest adventure to date when you first left, Beat?
2: Um, I probably, it was. Um, I, I'm the youngest in my family, so I've always been a bit more, uh, I, I think I'm the one that everyone expected to leave. Um most of my childhood i went on vacation like with my friends and not my parents so i've i've been a lot of places uh being by myself and away from my family is is uh you know something i'm pretty okay with and normal um i talk to them on the phone a lot you know, but uh, it is,
1: it is hard, you know, calling back home, especially, you know, being on the East coast and the far, far West coast, Northwest coast, like five hour time difference. Yeah, they like, you know, they call you at like five o'clock, six o'clock and you're like, man, I'm still working or you're just not ready to talk yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then by the time you get off and it's eight o'clock, it's like, oh shit, it's midnight at home. <laughs> so you just never talk to anybody. It's I'm
2: kind of, going on a full 14 years here and my sister still calls me at like 4 a.m sometimes
1: <laughs> that's awesome <Wow>. you <laughs> nice Son she wakes goodness. up she wants to talk and she, on her way to work
0: right <laughs> and yeah, you're still sleeping right. <laughs> so you went up there specifically with the intent of doing surveying in mind or how did you kind of set up like of all places why Anchorage Alaska Fairbanks or fair I'm sorry Fairbanks yeah Fairbanks Alaska
2: so when i was in college um i had to do an internship in order to graduate and i i skipped it my first it was a two-year program so most kids typically did it in uh between year one and two and i did not do that and then so the my when i was about to graduate i was applying for jobs and i actually just saw a flyer on a bulletin board at my college so I emailed uh, my bo- my future boss, his name was Eric, and uh, I used to work at this company called Design Alaska out of Fairbanks. And so I just saw this flyer that said they were looking for, you know, basically like an experienced person. And <laughs> I emailed them and said, hey, I have no experience, but I need to do <laughs> an internship in order to graduate. Can I just come for the summer? And I had like three or four kind of phone inter- interviews with them, And, you know, after the third or fourth one, they said, OK, we're just going to offer you a full time job. And the first few mo- we're going to pay you. But the first few months will be just considered your internship. And then, you know, you won't have to leave. That's then how desperate they are. We're not letting yeah, you go they, home. No ever. one comes
0: to Alaska. We'll hire you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> desperation.
2: Seriously, man. They got. I mean, as a I didn't make a ton of money there, but man, they especially going to Fairbanks. Right. It's that's actually a, a big challenge is getting people to a go to Fairbanks and b stay there. And, and I think a lot of Alaska's like that. And they they really uh, put a lot of money into my 401k. So I didn't make a ton of money per hour, but they matched like 7.5% of my, you know, I could put in 7.5% and wow. they would match. And then they, and then they automatically put in 5%. Oh wow! So, you know, my first job, I put in less than 10% of my own money into my retirement and I was getting 20%, you know,
0: total. No oh, shit. Okay. That's so a great deal. you're about to retire next uh, week. Yeah, huh? exactly. God, I wish.
1: <laughs> so like, so when you moved to the Fairbanks, you know, what type of surveying did you do when you're kicking off?
2: so when i first moved to fairbanks i was doing a lot of uh big boundary surveys um for the state that was what i did most of my first summer there was some big survey uh just kind of some background the state of alaska owns a ton of land obviously and they subdivide land you know into normal subdivisions like you'd see anywhere else and then they sell that land at auction and so they Contract out most of those subdivisions to private surveyors. So my first comp- my first year, I spent almost a full year uh, working in between Fairbanks and Nenana, kind of like 20 miles south of Fairbanks. On this subdivision, and it was crazy. You know, it was just like stuff I'd never done. You know, I'd, I'd hike out into the middle of nowhere with like a tripod and a backpack and a chainsaw strapped to it, and, you know, cut line all day and put in property corners and, you know, monument this big subdivision. It
1: was. Now, how was, how was <laughs> that experience? You know, like, uh, paint a picture for the people that don't understand that area. You know, the geographics of it.
2: So yeah.
1: (laughs) And the 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 state birds that fly around.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it was like twenty miles south of Fairbanks, which is, you know, it doesn't seem that remote, but you get there's only one road, you know, one road there. It's the it's the main highway that goes between Anchorage and Fairbanks. And i was working kind of in the hills that that overlook uh minto flats matt and uh so the bottom of the subdivision was way down at the bottom of this hill i mean you probably had to hike a half a mile to a mile It was probably a full section so it was a mile straight down this 20 30 degree incline of you know spruce trees that were so close together you can barely get through them
0: so are you cutting your way in with a chainsaw
2: um we would hike down in. And the reason we had a chainsaw is because we kind of had pre-calculated where a lot of the corners should, you know, end up pretty close to there. Mm-hmm. And so it was back in the day before we had access to the Russian satellites for uh, for GPS. And so we would have to to use the GPS in those conditions. We would basically go down there, find a spot with our handheld Garmin, essentially, and find a spot close to where we were going to end up needing to set a corner. Wow. And then we'd cut out like almost kind of like a little like helicopter landing zone, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, set up our GPS so that it could have good uh, sky coverage. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, it was, it was kind of cool. It was all really hard work. But then because uh, there was just the two of us, we would each, you know, cut down our little Part and put up our GPS and set them there, and you had to let it sit there for like two two hours or an hour at least. And we would, you know, then I got a little break and got to sit there and get eaten by the mosquitoes that Dude, were, you know, we're so crawling bad. all over you. So bad. That sounds. <laughs> was this, so was this
3: anything you thought you were getting into when you took on your college class back in New York? Like, did you miss the chainsaw course and?
2: No, I had to take chainsaw courses. Yeah, I had to take. uh, So Paul Smith was like a forestry college. There was like a lot. They even had like logging programs and stuff. And so I remember I had to do, you know, I had to take some forestry classes. Uh, One of the things was like chainsaw safety. And I feel like I was mostly prepared. Um, You know, I never really understood how quickly remote things got i remember this one time within the first month of me working there we were setting a whole bunch of uh primary uh monuments which are you know primary monuments are like a aluminum pipe with a cap on the top of it so you have to dig a hole and so it's not a rebar that you just pound in the ground and it was all permafrost so it was just like you know i had to take a digging bar and i was just like chipping the ice out and you know it was just so like you oh gotta love God. your job
0: so you're really selling surveying as a profession right now
2: <laughs> if you like to go outside and you know i mean it's gonna be it's hard work but you're blazing trails you're like hiking around and you know being the kind of the first person on the ground you, uh, my my uh, coworker Cliff used to say he loved doing subdivision development because he was the last one of the last groups of people to see the land, you know, in its raw state before it was developed into a subdivision. Yeah, so, like are, are
3: you walking around with like a shotgun on your back or forty-five yeah, on your? Yeah, we were. That's where Alaska? I was thinking too. Like when you, cut the down, come, you the cut down bears come, the grizzly bears are rampant. Fucking tree, yeah. and they're pissed off, and you're looking like you know you're an appetizer for the day
2: so i never carried when i was in the interior um i i saw a lot of signs of bears when i was in in the interior in fairbanks but uh I like used to huge carry piles spray. of
0: feces <laughs>
2: of human yeah, remains there's <laughs> so right. much open space there that i never had any uh bear encounters in the interior it's kind of when you get down closer to anchorage in the south central where you know where we're basically like living in the foothills where you kind of start to get more of those uh human bear interactions
3: gotcha <clears throat> so did you ever have like an encounter where you had that moment in the wilderness where you just thought you might want to start carrying a gun like a couple wolves circling you or anything crazy like that out there
2: i've never had anything horrible happen um i've seen some pretty fresh bear signs uh i used to go out on and one summer we spent a bunch of time uh setting uh photo panels so when they do aerial photography uh a lot of times they'll pay a surveyor to uh Set a photo panel on the ground, and it's something that you can pick out, you know, from the from the photos when they're done. Like a big old uh,
0: dick and balls carved out of the uh, forest. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how professional you stay out there in the wilderness.
2: (laughs) How professional? Very professional at all times. You know, it's the most important part of every day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, bud. You won't miss the photo site. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Pete was here. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, so, what's the process when you guys go out and you are are setting the first ever monuments in an area? How does that work? Are you getting more accurate than what GPS can do, or is GPS going to be sufficient for setting a monument?
2: In in most cases, uh, in pretty much all cases, uh, GPS is sufficient for setting a monument given the right conditions if you're under heavy canopy like leafy trees and sometimes even these really big tall pine trees they uh the the gps signals reflect off of the leaves and stuff so if you're under heavy canopy you can't really uh reliably use it but you can you know set some control back where you get a good signal you set a couple of nails in the ground and then you set up your total station and spinning spin angles and distances with your total station off of that to uh, put the corners in that way. If you can't uh, get reliable GPS signals. And
0: I actually want to back up kind of to an even higher level than that, because this podcast is really geared towards more than just the dirt trades. Uh, For those who don't know, what is a monument? Can you describe that to people?
2: Sure. A monument is uh, it can be any type of basically any type of physical uh thing that would mark a property corner or control that you're using for a construction site maybe um the i, I live in the on the west coast uh, michigan's part of the public land survey system too so we have uh what we call section corners and every the land is sectionalized so it's you know mostly squares um and so you set the sectionalized land system the the BLM and the BLM's predecessor organizations, you know, starting from the very early days, they they sectionalize off the land and they set a monument at every section corner and quarter corner. And so a section is a, a one mile by one mile square, roughly. And so you set the four corners and the center and the center points along that along the exterior lines.
1: All right.
2: And so it can be and that can be anything. Um as As long as it's called for, you're so when you when you're surveying, you're supposed to take, you know care to call out the appropriate things. So you'll find some really old stuff in your neck of the woods where it might be some huge boulder that they chiseled, they chiseled the section information onto a boulder. <laughs> and uh, in in Alaska, it's mostly. Uh, Aluminum drive rods. The old, the really old stuff here is from like the early 1900s, and most of it is like aluminum drive rods with a with like a three inch brass cap or something on top of it.
3: Wow. So what's it take (laughs) when you're setting these monuments? Obviously, you're driving this stuff in the ground, but how are you actually keeping track of all this? And then what are you doing once you take that data and go back to the computer to the office there?
2: So in the in the days of uh computers um we're we're kind of going out and finding the existing there's there's pretty few stuff that pretty few things that have not been surveyed before so you're gonna find some kind of control uh that's already been established on the outside of your subdivision whether it's a couple miles away or whatever you're gonna come off of that and so you you collect all that information, um, whether it be with GPS or with total stations or something like that. You basically break down the original boundary and then you bring it back to the office, put it all into CAD or some kind of CAD software or some kind of other uh, coordinate geometry software. And then you kind of evaluate that and make sure that that everything lines up and then really A lot of, you know, today, a lot of people, you know, once they, the the really hard part is finding the control, you know, establishing new control and then making sure that that that's okay. And that, you know, there's not any major issues with that that need to be resolved, you know, like that would be, you know, if you found a bunch of corners that Mm -hmm. were overlapping or or things like that you know sometimes some people might not have found a corner and they might have pounded another one a foot away from it you know yeah. you have to resolve something like that <laughs> and just ran
1: with it because the skeeters are so bad they're like fuck this we're just getting out of here yeah, no uh, who, who really get matters? Out yeah. here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 break down the original boundary and then you take it back to the office and evaluate it all and then you know make some make some educated decisions about what you're supposed to do holding whatever control moving forward. And then realistically it kind of becomes more of a exercise in, in a, just doing stakeout, like kind of just like construction stakeout yep. um, you'd go back and you'd have pre precalculated pre-calculated points for all of your uh, property corners and road center lines and all that stuff. And you would, much like in construction, you would just go back out with whatever the appropriate equipment was and uh, stake that stuff out.
1: Nice. So, going from uh, you know college, you know you didn't you weren't licensed right out of school. So, what what did it take after you did your time in the field, like to get your your certified license in surveying?
2: Yeah, um, Alaska is a state. So when I moved here, there. The rules here when I moved here were you had to have a associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, and you had to total eight years of experience. So I had an associate's degree that meant I had to work for two years. And then I took my fundamentals of surveying exam, um, much like engineering we're, were regulated by the same board in Alaska. the right. uh, architects, engineers and land surveyors board. And so I had to apply through the the board to take my uh, Fundamentals of Surveying exam. And I did that in 2012. And then after I got that, after I passed that test, I had to work for four more years. And I think three of the years had to be considered a responsible charge, meaning like I was making decisions and and that kind of stuff, boundary decisions and stuff like that. And so then I had to work for four more years after I got my... uh, Ella, her, my fundamentals worked for four more years. And then I have to, then I had to sit for the national exam, which is through NCs and then Alaska and, and all States are like this. You have to pass the national test that kind of transfers over to anywhere. You know, that, that's just gotcha. the test. And then each state has their own uh, exam and they, those kind of vary the Alaska state exam is all about Alaska statutes and regulations and things that you're supposed to know as a surveyor.
3: (laughs) Now, how, how hard is that exam when you're talking about that? Obviously you're out in the field working and getting all the knowledge and experience, but when you sat down to take that test, was it?
2: It was really, it was, I didn't feel like the test itself was that hard. I don't know. So I grew up in New York and I've taken standardized tests my whole life. So it's not something that, is uh
0: not anything out of the ordinary environment
2: is not intimidating for me you know yeah. a lot of people never had to do that in their life and then they go to take these tests well, i'm scared to show a
1: standardized test.
2: <laughs> so i grew up all of my high school exams from ninth through 12th grade were like standardized state exams so i, I kind of grew up under that system and so it was it was really hard to study for though you know they're like here's all this material that you need to know and it was like the state exam in particular was about a thousand pages of statutes and regulations. Yes. <laughs> oh,
0: sweet Jesus!
2: <laughs> and, and you know they're like, okay, at the end of this, you're there's sixty question, sixty multiple choice questions, and you got two hours to take this exam. And so I read all of it, and you know it was like you kind of know what you're. You know, I've been working for long enough at this point that I know what I'm doing as far as you in know, the field, in a, the yeah, actual yeah. Basis, on the ground the applicable
0: information. <laughs>
2: Right, and you know, I know what kind of information i I, I should know, and so a lot of the stuff you know, I read all of the cover to cover, and then I went back through and made this like really really detailed index because you can take your books with you and like look stuff up and there were just huge chunks of it where you knew like, okay, they're not gonna waste one of the sixty questions on this section yeah, so yeah. You could you could skip over huge chunks of it the second time through and you know make. Make some uh, decisions. And, you know, I did pretty well. I thought it was uh, it was a lot of work studying for. But ultimately, on the day of the test, it wasn't that bad. And I did pretty well on the test. So nice. Good.
0: Awesome. So going back to when you're hiking around in the wilderness, doing these surveys, are these all typical? You can get in there and do what you need to in a day or you guys having a pack gear where you're going to be out there in the field for two or three days at a time?
2: Um, I've done both. Uh, most of my, most of my stuff that that particular survey I did was on the road system. So it was only, you know, it was like 30 minutes, 40 minutes from my office. So, you know, we drive out there, work 12 hours and drive back to the office. We did that every day for months and there's other places I've been, you know, I, I used to fly the design Alaska where I worked. They had a contract with one of the school districts uh you know like the lower yukon school district in the yukon flats in western alaska and i would go do uh like topographic surveys a lot and so we'd fly out there with all of our stuff and stay there for two or three days and uh, there's a lot of places there wasn't any place to stay so they'd let us like you know sleep in an empty classroom at the school
1: <laughs> nice <laughs> you had to put up a tp or anything like that like a man camp <laughs>
2: No, most of the places, because I was at the schools, um, most of the places I went, I was always able to stay at the school. Um, but now I work for the Department of Natural Resources, and um, I, I was talking earlier about uh, doing surveys for them when I worked at Design Alaska, and so for the past, uh, like for about a year, I actually was in charge of uh, contracting all of the state subdivisions, right. and so... We just did one last year where they had to, the surveyors who won the job, they flew out in a float plane. They had to have, you know, they took a day and a half to set up camp. They stayed out there for two weeks, packed all their stuff back up when they were done with the initial field work, came back to town.
1: Oh, Pete, where'd he go? Damn fucking! I think that baragata. damn Russian uh, satellite? satellite just kicked him off.
3: I think Pete's just gone. <laughs> so anyhow, guys, that's what happens when you work in fucking Alaska. One second you're there, one second you're fucking
1: gone. Are you there, Pete? Pete,
2: I am still here because you can hear me. Yes, <laughs> we there can. you are. I thought you got oh. eaten by
1: a grizzly or something real quick. So are you still out in the field, Pete? Yeah. <laughs> the Russians just cut your satellite off
2: <laughs> they probably did you know I've actually been wondering what will happen if they do that
0: <laughs> I, I was, when, you, when you made mention of the Russian satellites earlier I, I was actually first kind of, of surprised. all surprised yeah that you hadn't lost access to it first of all but then secondly I began to wonder at what point will they cut access off
2: I have no idea you know it's something I just started talking about a couple days ago with one of my co-workers and I don't think anyone knows. And we, I think we just hope it doesn't happen. Yeah. Now, now why do
1: we rely on their satellites? Like, why don't we have a U.S. satellite for America?
0: Damn it. So we do, um, we have the, it just doesn't fly up towards you.
2: (laughs) That's actually true. So we have the GPS system. Um, there's like 20 something satellites, around that the u.s owns and operates and up you know it was put up i don't know when it was put up but it was for military purposes and then sometime when we were kids basically they uh made it so that the civilians could access it and that's how all of our phones and everything work um but in alaska when you're doing surveying work there you used to have to really uh plan your missions because they'd be there's not that many of them that come up you know this high in uh in. You'd
1: have to wait till the orbit like next Saturday at a uh, one PM. We got an hour to get it surveyed, and then it's done. That's
2: exactly that's exactly <laughs> right. I mean so there was like mission planning software that you know it would they project the orbits and so you'd say where you were gonna be and it'd tell you kind of the availability of the satellites in that area.
0: No shit. That's wild.
2: People used to have to do mission planning for everything, and then i was i don't know sorry sure honey i couldn't call you
1: i was uh the <laughs> satellite satellite. Was not in orbit. Yeah, sorry
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah so and then i don't know when, i don't know when it was but sometime after i moved here like maybe 2010 time frame the uh russians had been launching launching their own uh gps system that's called glonass and uh so anyway once once that got turned on and became available to the public at least um it's it's a uh, circumpolar. So it's way better coverage. You know, we went from having, you have to have four satellites in view to even get a, a solution. Wow. So you'd go from having like six satellites to 12, you know? And so it would, it really helped out a lot in, in Alaska and in the Northern latitudes in particular. That's crazy. interesting.
1: Now, how was it up there? You know, being in Alaska right now, I remember back in, I think it was 2008 when we cold were cold as on, fuck.
0: Totten. Oh yeah. That too.
1: <laughs> but like, uh, in, in Fairbanks when, uh, Fort Wainwright, like was uh, when, uh, Russia was messing with, I think it was Turkey at that time or whatever country they're going after. Like, dude, that, that Air Force base, I Air Force base and it was just rampant, you know, it was just going crazy. Is it going pretty nuts up there? Like, are they doing, training
2: getting ready for there was some big training thing but they they say that you know they say that it's but oh this was scheduled you know they have to schedule that crap years in advance so um there was some big training thing that just happened here after uh uh, it wasn't that long ago because they're uh there was military convoys driving up the highway between uh anchorage and fairbanks for like two weeks wow. and it would just take people forever to get there because you know have you ever been behind one of those matt they oh you yeah will be a freaking huge convoy they're driving 45 miles an hour yep and, they and just you can't drive. pass them
1: because if you pass them you're going to get a head-on collision because it's yeah 10 miles long it's oh, shit. Mile. so you just sit back hopefully you have a couple pops in your cooler and you just uh, relax <laughs>
0: Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that oh, yeah. Hey, you see a lot more when you're going slow, you know. <laughs> my Dude, my vein would be just bulging out of my forehead the whole time. I would see yeah. the dollars of diesel fuel rolling out the fucking window going, wow.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let me take this educated kind of, guess. Now, what kind of fun uh, surveying are you guys working on right now?
2: Because you work so for right the DNR now, now,
1: for the state yeah, of Yeah,
2: so nowadays I've been working at the Department of Natural Resources for uh, just over a year, um, I was doing the subdivision program and I just switched jobs in November and I am, we are building what we're calling the Alaska Continuously Operating Reference Network.
0: Well, I'm glad you guys chose a <laughs> short name for it.
2: We, we call it ACORN. It made, a, it made for a good acronym. Yeah, right. you know. <laughs> and no, wh- and no, what is that?
1: Now, what's the difference between, you know, you were in the private sector for years, right? That was the private sector when you're yeah. with the design Alaska now how is it being on the federal level or the state uh,
2: level I'm on the state level you know I really like being a public sector worker um I I, I certainly don't get paid as much as I used to but well, um, what the hell do you do the that milk for from
0: the government teat flows non-stop <laughs> You got a pause. Allegedly, so you pay. Allegedly, <laughs> yeah, allegedly, allegedly true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um,
2: you know, I like working in the public sector, uh, and right now, in particular. Um, so we're building a continuously operating reference network and a real time Acorn, Acorn yes. GPS network. Exactly. So we're building the Acorn, and we're we're essentially the only state that exists that does not have a real time GPS network. And so, basically, what that entails is there are permanently operating reference stations going 24 hours a day on the ground. They're constantly tracking whatever satellites are in view. Uh, I bought, you know, I buy the software. So right now let's use Michigan, for example, the Michigan DOT operates their own real-time network. They got probably a hundred GPS stations all over Michigan. Let's say they, those are collecting data continuously and live streaming that data into some software. The software will model a, uh, a, positional information for all of those stations. And then depending on where you are, it will send you back out the GPS correction over the cell phone network. Nice. Wow. So,
0: so just <clears throat> to clarify, the yep. ground stations are what's actually communicating with the satellites.
2: Both your ground station and your, uh, rover that you have would all be communicating with the satellite so okay.
0: what's the point of the ground stations then
2: so the ground stations are permanent and they are affixed and so it it'd kind of be like uh so if you're out on a construction site normally when you see a surveyor you would see them with a gps probably on a tripod and then they have that gps hooked up to a uhf radio that broadcasts out a correction signal to the Rover. So the Rover always kind of knows where it is within a couple of feet, let's say. And then by receiving that correction from the base station that has, you know, has a fixed position, essentially, it will correct the 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 location of your Rover to within, you know, a couple of centimeters. Gotcha, wow. so
0: that's where your true accuracy comes from is the, the ground stations helping pinpoint. Yes. Interesting. Yeah.
2: And so when you, when you do all this stuff and you have it over the cell phone network, you're kind of eliminating the need for people to have, you know, a $30,000 piece of equipment that they, you know, you're kind of eliminating the entry, the barrier to entry into yeah. the, into the profession. Um, there's a lot of other like non-surveying, really cool stuff that happens with the, with the data, like scientific wise. Um, we'll elaborate on was, this. Let's, let's get just talk to, the scientific yeah so i'm i'm uh currently out on working this. on putting up i'm currently working on putting up stations at most of the ferry terminals here in in alaska and i've been reading and learning and talking to people about um it's a field of research that i don't even remember what they call it but they can essentially model take the raw gps data and model the water levels in like close to real time no, no right. shit. So, for like coastal hazard monitoring. Yeah,
1: like uh, tsunamis and and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: And I don't know if I'm particularly going to be able to help that effort, but before I go start putting up a bunch of stations. (laughs) You know, I'm reaching out to some people that work at the university and, you know, kind of asking them, hey, you know, if there's any way I can help this effort move forward. Yeah, I've got all this equipment and money to put it up, you know, so I'm I'm not just uh, sticking it out there without asking. It's a pretty why, big deal
1: can... right there. Why do they <laughs>
3: feel it's important, though, to monitor the water level and stuff out there?
2: Like so we it's have flooding a lot gadgets. of like coastal erosion and flooding and all kinds of stuff you know we're having communities literally wash away they have to move them and so a lot of it has so to, you're talking about you like know, the
1: more remote like uh coastal villages and stuff like that
2: yeah so a lot of that kind of stuff that that's the real benefit that i see and understand from it mm-hmm. again I'm, I'm not a scientist so I, uh, I just kind of slowly learn about this stuff and try to ask these uh, research groups that I know of if there's any way I can help provide relevant data to their
0: cause. That's awesome. So when I'm envisioning one of these ground stations, I'm envisioning like a cell phone tower. What do these things actually look like?
2: They look like all kinds of stuff. Um, I think a really common one that you'll see is... Uh, and and I'm going to probably build a lot of these myself. They'll be you can take the the GPS antenna and basically you buy some little coupler and you can put it on like a three inch uh, galvanized pipe and you know mount it on the side of a building. A lot of people do that. It's cheap, you know oh. if if you get some big buildings, I'm actually hoping to do that. i'm part i'm I'm trying to partner with a bunch of school districts right now. um. Alaska has a lot of communications issues, obviously, uh, with all the remoteness and bad cell phone signals. And so part of what I'm doing requires, you know, like good broadband access. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's exciting. And so in the remote
2: in the remote parts of the state, it, definitely in the remote parts of the state, the schools are typically the most reliable uh, source of broadband. And so I'm partnering with the schools and it's kind of a twofold thing, um, like most industry of construction and trade industries, uh, land surveyors are suffering from a massive shortage of people entering into the profession. Well, yeah.
0: you've done such a fine job of selling everybody on it this evening. Sure. <laughs> <right? laughs> yeah. <laughs> no it's been awesome it's like the movie survivor out there that's right
3: yeah to be a surveyor you gotta live in the woods
0: look you're gonna have to hike into the wilderness with 50 pounds of gear on your back maybe closer to 100 you're gonna be eaten by mosquitoes but it's fucking awesome you're gonna
3: have to fucking fend for yourself and fight for your food
1: but you stay fit yeah,
2: I, I you, don't, imagine. you don't
1: see any overweight uh, surveyors, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, fuck that, man! Fuck that. I don't think I got fat until I moved into the office. <laughs> right, that happens to
1: the best of us.
2: Now,
3: what what kind of what's the difference now working with the public sector versus the private? Like, what's the software like? What's all the ac- accessibility with like getting other GPS models and computers and rovers? Like, what's it all like versus being back with the private sector?
2: it's you know the public sector it's a lot more complicated to buy things um i guess that's that's kind of an easy way to put it so i just i just put out a request for proposal for uh hardware software and training and like maintenance right and as a, as a private company, if I have a preference, you know, I like one type of equipment better than another type. I can just go buy it. Yeah. They don't ask don't
1: questions have cause they know what you're right. doing. It's going to make it better for you and for them.
2: So, you know, in, in this case, you know, I'm talking about spending close to $2 million of public funds. And so, you know, there's this whole process that I have to go through the request for proposal process. And I, it's probably, uh, I came into the process kind of late, but my boss, Gwen, she, she, uh, she's been championing this cause for years, um, to get the, to get the acorn started. And, uh,
0: how can an so acorn she, cost $2 million? It's a $2 million acorn,
2: <laughs> $2 million acorn, man. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Gwen's fan. Manifest. <laughs> Gwen spent years, you know, laying the groundwork to get to actually get the funding, and we we were able to secure funding through the first round of uh, I think it's the American Recovery Act, you know, the first nice. round of COVID money. Yeah. And but so they, we they were had so to, much
1: of it, they had to figure out how to get rid of it.
2: <laughs> that's, that's actually true. Yeah. I mean, that's not a lie. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were able to get our funding through that. You know, they they push all that money to the states, and so I have like a state line. Line item budget, basically, and you know we we put out the proposal. Gwen and I spent you know a bunch of time writing specifications. Uh, you guys are contractors. I'm sure you you deal with this on the uh, on the bidder perspective. Um, it's it's definitely interesting the difference between being the owner versus the the bidder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I kind of I kind of got into that world when I worked at the Alaska Railroad. Uh, I, I did a lot of contracting at the railroad too.
1: <laughs> so what did you do for the railroad?
2: The railroad? Uh I worked at the railroad for two years when I first moved here. And uh my job title at the railroad was project manager of public projects. And uh my function was I was kind of in charge of the uh at grade crossing replacement. Oh sorry, like, where roads
1: come in intersection with the the railroad?
2: Yeah, so I worked with the DOT to uh, plan, you know, plan for future funding and implement uh, crossing upgrade strategies, right. and then I coordinated all that work to happen and rebuilt a whole bunch of railroad crossings in the couple of years that I worked at the railroad. Nice.
3: <laughs> See, when I think of Alaska, I don't really think of it really being that fucking busy at all. Oh, it is. And you talked to Pete. And he acts like it's extremely busy and there's not enough people to work. Well, you got a lot of moose
0: crossings up there. Apparently, you, you gotta, like I'm telling you, like when, the guardrails and shit come down <laughs> exactly. and the moose come up across. there. You know, it's
1: like one of those things like you came from the cities and then you drove through cities and all of a sudden you got into Canada and kinda of got more desolate oh. and desolate. And then you get to Alaska and you you're like, Well, oh, it's not too bad. And all of a sudden, you know, Fairbanks, we'd be Going to work and there'd be five cars at intersection. You'd be like, "What the fuck?" You know, that was a, that was a traffic jam. <laughs> a <trapping> or jam. <laughs> you know, everyone detoured because they had a road closure. You know, so yeah, it's it's different. Then you come back to real life and you're like, "Oh my god, there was like absolutely no traffic up there." Now,
3: how busy it up, how busy is it, is it up busy. there now, Pete? Versus back in the day when you first made the adventure what's it like?
2: Um. Mm, I- I don't think we really gained a whole lot of people. Um, Fairbanks is probably, Rena just got back from Fairbanks actually this afternoon. Um, she went to see, she saw Andrew and Rio and the kids. Oh, stay, nice. I think. Nice. Awesome. Maybe I'm trying to get Andrew.
1: Andrew on here next. So
2: <clears throat> I know she saw Rio, maybe she did see Andrew. The kids are actually probably at school, I guess. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I use, I spent a lot of, I, for work, I go to Fairbanks a lot. Fairbanks is, is pretty much the same, Uh, They're not getting, like, a huge influx of people. Anchorage, you know, Anchorage is different. Uh, Anchorage is half the people in the state live here. Uh, You know, there's certainly a lot more people here. It's... uh, most of the industry is centered out of Anchorage, at least, you know, we've got yeah. uh Conco Phillips and you know, the big, the oil companies are here. Most of the native corporations headquarters are here. So there's a, there's a lot more industry and business in, in Anchorage. Um, it's a
1: thriving city. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but yeah. So like, so what would you say? Like, would you, or give us a, your view on how somebody would, you know, or how would you persuade somebody to get into surveying if they're thinking about doing it?
2: I think the best answer to that is surveying is, you know, people talk a lot about STEM education and STEM careers and all this stuff with STEM surveying is all of STEM. It is science, mathematics, technology. You know, it is every part of it is you're going to use every part of STEM in every day of your career. All right. And, you know, there are so many different things that you can do as a surveyor. You can you can be like me when I was concentrating strictly on like boundary surveys and doing that. There's a whole, you know, a whole plethora of technology with drones and mapping and all of that type of stuff. Um, There's a degree. There's a four year degree program here in, in Anchorage at the University of Alaska Anchorage. They uh, they even do a completely online. You can even get a completely online degree in land surveying from the university. That's awesome. Oh, wow. And there's a bunch of other, I think there's some other places too, like the university of Maine. And if you want to do that, you just basically find a local sponsor. You find some, professional land surveyor locally, wherever you live. Mm -hmm. And they kind of agree to help you do all the labs and stuff that you would have normally done in school.
3: All right. Interesting. Now, what kind of skills have you learned? Obviously coming from New York to Alaska and then getting into the surveying world, what kind of skills have you actually learned? And then how have you used them outside the surveying?
2: So, I spent my first year doing the boundary stuff, and then my company really moved heavily into construction surveying. And so, you know, laying out construction sites from clearing limits all the way through, you know, road and housing construction and that kind of stuff. I spent most of my time in my private career actually doing construction surveying. And to me, that kind of paved my way to Working at the railroad in particular, you know, I spent as a surveyor on a construction site, you're really there for every single phase of it. And you're constantly learning how people are, you know, managing a construction site, how the workflows, you know, you're yeah. clearing this day, you do this that day. You know, it got to the point where I could go to a superintendent and say, Hey, you know, you're not really ready for that. You know, they want me to stake out the curb. Yeah. And you'd say, if you're not really ready for that, you've got all these loaders driving all over the place and they're going to probably run over all the stakes. And then you're going to have to pay me to come back here again.
1: I've run into you know, that situation. Some
2: superintendents don't care about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not my money. <laughs> that's a huge problem. Do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it gets expensive quick. I mean, every time you have the surveyors out, it's, you know, it's, it's at least a, like three to $500 bill. And that's just for just an hour time. Laugh, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, so exactly. So those kind of skills that I learned in the construction in the construction sites and construction industry, um, those, those directly translated to my ability to get jobs outside of surveying. You know, I was not a surveyor at the railroad. I was basically a construction project manager. And so I did, you know, all of the scheduling and procurement and everything of railroad crews with DOT crews and coordinating all that work and, you know, road closures and, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think I learned pretty much all of those skills through the construction surveying of, of most of my career in the private sector. That's great.
0: So going back to the, to the network that you're creating with the GPS outside of broadband, I know we're kind of scatterbrained here, but outside of the broadband issue, uh, what are some of the other challenges that you guys are facing trying to put that together?
2: There is a lot of, a lot of players in the gps game so you know it's it's really challenging with the with obviously the broadband and communications and then how i'm gonna part basically i'm really working hard to figure out how to leverage all of the existing gps infrastructure that's out there um so i'm working with school districts because they can provide power and electricity to me for free, where yep. I won't have to incur a monthly bill and drive up my operations costs. And there's a there's a nonprofit called Unavco, and they set up. They have a GPS station set up all over the state and they, it's, uh, their program is called the Plate Boundary Observatory. So they're monitoring, they're scientists, you know, like these people are like legit scientists oh, yeah. and they're monitoring the motion, you know, the crustal motion of the earth and earthquakes and all kinds of stuff. And so trying to figure out how we can like leverage all of this existing infrastructure into a program that will eventually fulfill the goal of, of statewide coverage. So kind of
1: collaborate with everybody.
2: Yes. That is essentially all I do.
1: Interesting. (laughs)
2: Now, what do you
3: find your biggest struggle being a surveyor? What's your biggest hiccups doing your job?
2: Ever changing technologies is, is kind of an issue. You know, it's the, the technological advances at this point seem to be happening faster than you can keep up with them. You know, by the time you buy a new piece of equipment and who knows what the hell is going to be in five years, you know, in 10 years, they might've launched some new satellite constellation yeah. that will communicate directly with my phone better than I could ever hope to do what I'm doing right now. And you, you, know, you just,
1: just made the, <laughs> you know, the state pay for $2 million piece of equipment, right? A
0: fucking acorn. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, the good part about that is is that most all of those advances that they're that they're talking about and researching now do still require like good ground station yeah. control so i won't be uh, i won't be wasting the uh, public's money
0: <laughs> so go back to the acorn real quick because i still don't understand what the acorn is what what is acorn
2: acorn is a interconnected series of gps ground based gps stations and so each one of those stations there's a ton of them out there right now each one of them operates independently of one another so by adding in the software component you bring you feed all of that data in real time into a software that can then do modeling and a whole bunch of other things and then, you know, so you have all these pieces of the puzzle that aren't connected. And then.
0: Uh so that's kind of what you were talking about earlier with all of those ground stations communicating with each other. That's what you guys are working on. That's Acorn. Yes. I'm gotcha. with you. So that makes So sense. what is the GNSS network that we hear about? Because that's what I thought we were referring to.
2: Uh, so I'm i tend to uh use so gnss is the 21st century term of gps um gotcha. gps is specifically the american satellites and gnss stands for global navigation satellite systems All right. gotcha. so the united states has a system russia has a system china has a system the european union has their own system and so we get some signals from all of those, all of those different, uh, constellations. That's
0: crazy. China doesn't share. Yeah, no,
3: <laughs> Now, what's the most satisfying thing about being a surveyor up in Alaska for you?
2: I think the most satisfying thing about being a surveyor right now, to me at least is you can get a job literally anywhere as a surveyor. I mean, I, I was just perusing some message boards the other day and people are just like Desperate to hire land surveyors, yeah, and I mean they're going to have to start paying people what they're actually worth. <laughs> I was going to say,
1: what is the average pay for a surveyor? You know, so somebody really that's listening. It really
2: depends on where you are. All
1: right,
2: you know, it's. uh, I-, I considered moving back to the East Coast a while ago, years ago, and you know, it was like the wages on the East Coast were. Fair. I think it's because there's so many people. The wages were just kind of suppressed. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of made the decision not to do that. All wow. <laughs> but not- you
1: can sustain a
0: living by being a surveyor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just a couple of dollars. Just a couple. I will say another satisfying aspect of Appar- being a surveyor. Apparently Pete can't
3: pay the phone bill
0: on a surveyor's are we, wage. Are we, are we out again? I think we, are lost we out? again? Oh no, oh no he's, no, there, he's oh, there he's there okay all right it, it just got really quiet i'm well, getting
2: I, a lot of like horrible feedback from you guys right
0: now really
2: yeah i wonder like, what's going on with the phone tonight well, it's we're uh, not we're not
1: trying to shit on you pete yeah is <laughs> I mean, it is it that static coming through yeah yeah, yeah we I'm heard that too yeah like
0: i don't know what's going on with features, the static yeah. we've never had that before this is we've we're having some technical issues i apologize to the audience <laughs> but it is what it is.
2: I thought it might be my headphones. So I took my headphones off, but it's still doing it.
0: It's doing it it in our headphones too. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I was totally going to tee up for a joke and it's just gone now. Like the (laughs) moment has passed. So (laughs) (laughs) that's
3: now, if somebody was on the fence, Pete, about getting into the industry, and becoming a surveyor, what kind of advice and what kind of pointers That's would you give That's what I tried out? to say
1: earlier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we got the Totten translator. Yes.
2: <laughs> you know, if somebody's getting into the industry, um, there's a lot of states out there that recognize there is a, a need for surveyors and they're creating av- more avenues for people to get into the profession, whether or not they want to become licensed professionals or not. You know, we have a need for technicians and field helpers and you know anything from the lowest man on the totem pole all the way up to the top so you know i think that's kind of it is you know if you like technology and science and you like being outside and you like doing all this stuff then then it's a good then it's a good place for you to go start asking questions and you know trying to find a job
0: that's great (laughs) well not to mention if you're a surveyor you can accurately measure the size of your Johnson and no one can argue with me because that's what you do for a living. (laughs) It could be a benchmark. (laughs) That's right. I'll give you a monument right here.
1: (laughs) Oh man. So, well, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think we've kind of came to a close, but we're going to finish it off with this one last final question. If you could do anything different, what would be your dream job?
2: If I could do anything different, what would be my dream job, man? That's what I what I I don't know. know. Honestly, I think I'm currently living my dream job. I'm in a I'm in a mixture of science, technology, and politics. That's that's my uh, that's my fortune. That's just a
0: testament to the trades, though. Absolutely, because everybody that gets into it. Really, just we've really been noticing that loves the yeah. job we've been noticing that of all the tradesmen we talk to everyone's just like yeah i'm pretty much doing my dream job that's amazing I mean, we it's can awesome. always ask
3: for more money because money would be that's nice absolutely now, do you
1: see you guys self sticking it out in an anchorage are you guys gonna move around or leave alaska anytime soon or are you guys stay staying for the long haul
2: it kind of depends um so my wife is uh both better looking and 18 times smarter than i am so uh That's she's a project manager <laughs> she's a project manager at the army corps of engineers
0: oh nice and
2: uh we moved here for we actually moved to anchorage because she got the job at the corps nice and we've considered moving before and when you're both uh mid-level managers in your career it's pretty hard for you to both find a job that you really want in a new place at the same time yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah
1: that's awesome. So, so we're
2: gonna be here for a while longer. Uh, you know, I'd say we're gonna be here for five more years at least.
1: Heck yeah. <clears> well, I plan on being up there next summer to come see uh Luke's little one. So well we'll all have to get oh, yeah. together and uh yeah, I know, May. It's coming up quick. I think he thinks I'm coming up there this summer, but I can't afford it this year. <laughs> so
0: but hey, no, thanks It's for been a pleasure us, having Pete. you on, brother. Absolutely. Thanks, Peter. Yeah,
2: thank you guys. It was great.
0: Hell yeah. And thank you guys for listening. As always, uh, if you're on an Apple device, you know my plug, guys. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It helps us out. We will catch you guys on the next episode of Sweat and Grime. Peace.